chapter introduces the defection in the church, followed by the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Although they were saved, when they lied to the Holy Spirit, they were removed from the company of believers. Power continues in the church. We see that in verses 12 to 14. Multitudes are saved. The apostles exercise the apostolic gifts. The apostles are arrested the second time and put in prison. That's in verses 17 and 18. Yamaleel counsels restraint and moderation in dealing with them. They are beaten, forbidden to speak in the name of Jesus, and continue to preach in his name. Ananias and Sapphira were a husband and wife who sold a possession. They tried to mislead the apostles that they were giving the entire proceeds, confronted one at a time by Peter, and found guilty of lying against the Holy Spirit. They both fell dead, bringing great fear upon all. That's verses 1 through 11. Highly esteemed among the people, the apostles continued doing many signs and wonders among the people in the temple at Solomon's porch. Believers were added to the church in increasing numbers, who then brought the sick out into the streets on beds and couches, that perhaps the shadow of Peter might fall on some of them. A multitude from surrounding cities, we were told, brought those who were sick and tormented, and everyone was healed. Once again, the high priest and those of the Sadducees are filled with anger. They have the apostles placed in the custody. During the night, an angel of the Lord frees them and commands the apostles to continue to teach in the temple. In the morning, when the council convenes, the prison is found secure but empty. When told that the apostles are teaching in the temple, officers are sent to bring the apostles peacefully to the council. When the high priest charges them of disobeying the command not to teach in the name of Jesus, the apostles reply, We ought to obey God rather than man. They further proclaim that God raised Jesus whom the council had murdered and has exalted him to be prince and savior who offers repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. To this the apostles claim to be witnesses, along with the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Infuriated at this, the council plots to kill the apostles. However, Gamaliel advises the council to leave the apostles alone. Based upon the history of the of other movements that have failed, Gamaliel reasons that if the apostles were doing the work of men, it would come to naught. If it was the work of God, the council could do nothing to stop it and would only be fighting against God. So we must respect Luke as a historian here. He doesn't ignore the faults of the early church. He is not writing a fairy tale about the figurative body of Christ. Rather, Luke reports the facts, warts and all. In chapter 5, we find the sad account of Ananias and Sapphira, and it follows the wonderful spirit-filled accounts in chapter 4. This is a sad reminder that even in the church of the apostles, there were problems. There was hypocrisy, and there were people putting on fronts while being deceitful. In the church of the apostles, this was going on. This should teach us a great truth. There are no perfect churches. If the apostles could not pull it off, no one could pull it off. If the apostles had hypocrisy in their church, you better believe it, we're going to have some hypocrisy in our church. If the apostles had some people lying about things in their church, you can better believe it, we're probably going to have some people lying about things in our church. If the apostles couldn't pull it off, nobody can pull it off. You will encounter hypocrites in church. That's just a fact. You're going to encounter hypocrites in church. But as we see in this passage, God will take care of the hypocrites. Just turn them over to him, 
and leave them in his hands and continue serving God and bringing glory to his name. If there's one thing Acts chapter 5 teaches us, God takes care of the hypocrites. Ananias and Sapphira had a plot to deceive. They sold a possession but kept back part of the proceeds. Ananias brings a part to the apostles. Sapphira was not aware what had happened to Ananias, but she was aware that he brought that part to the apostles, and she was aware that it wasn't all of it. She was aware of the attention to deceive. And then we have the death of Ananias. Peter challenges him. Why hast thou allowed Satan to enter into your heart and lie to the Holy Spirit? The land was yours to use. The money was in your control. You have not lied to men, Ananias, but you have lied to God. Ananias drops dead upon hearing the words of Peter, and that created great fear in those who heard and witnessed it. He was carried up by young men and buried. Now, Sapphira comes in. She enters in about three hours later, unaware that Ananias has died. Did she sell the land for a certain amount, Peter asks. Why did she agree with her husband to test the spirit? She said, yes, we sold it for this amount. And Peter says, why did you agree with your husband to test the spirit? Those who buried your husband are ready to carry you out too. Sapphira falls dead. Immediately at the feet of Peter, she falls dead. She's carried out by the same young men that had just gotten back from burying her husband. The Bible tells us this created great fear upon all the church and all who heard. Acts 5.4 Whiles it remained, was it not thy own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Ananias and Sapphira were liars. Paul says that the symptom of one's sin nature is lying. Romans 3.13 This contrasts with God's nature. For it is impossible for God to lie. Titus 1.2 God calls his people to be holy. He calls his people to be a people of integrity. God despises lying. We see that in Proverbs chapter 6. The reason this judgment seems so severe to some people is simple. Few understand how serious lying really is. Peter says the pair lied to God, implying the deity of the Holy Spirit. That concept is terrifying. When people don't value the holiness of God, they minimize sin. And when they do that, they devalue the cross, where Jesus traded places with liars. When you minimize sin... You devalue the cross because Jesus paid for that sin. And you're saying you don't care that he had to suffer so much. Sin's not that bad. If sin's not that bad, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross to save us from our sin? When you minimize sin, you devalue the cross. You devalue the work of our Savior that died on the cross. Now Acts 5.12 says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord on Solomon's porch. Matthew Henry stated this about this verse, Many signs and wonders, such wonders as were confessedly signs of divine presence and power, all with one accord in Solomon's porch. The church was kept together and confirmed in its adherence to both to the apostles and to one another. They met in the temple, in the open place that was called Solomon's porch. They were there in one accord, unanimous in their doctrine, unanimous in their worship and discipline. There was no discontent nor murmuring about the death of Ananias and Sapphira. After the death of Ananias and Sapphira, the church was all with one accord 
in Solomon's porch. Acts 5.15 says, Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities, round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. They were healed every one. Now some of these faith healing services I've and heard reports of, I never hear of everyone in the assembly being healed. Here, everyone was healed. I know of certain people that go up and they make a big show of healing them on the, on the platform, on the stage with, with the evangelist. But here it says everyone were healed, and they were healed, everyone. These verses read just like an account from the Gospels. Something we might hear about Jesus. But this is Peter we are reading about. And they healed everyone. That at least a shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. This sounds like something we might have heard described about Jesus. But this is Peter we're reading about. This was God proving to Israel that the church was indeed the body of Christ. And the apostles were his accredited messengers. The Jews require a sign, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 1.22, well, a sign. In fact, multiple upon multiple upon multiple signs they were getting. Commentator John Phillips made this insightful comment about these verses. The news spread far and wide. Huge crowds gathered from all around the city and from the surrounding communities. Peter's shadow was as much an instrument of the Spirit's power as the hem of his garment had been an instrument of the Savior's power. The apostolic gift of healing and miracles is no longer with the church because the need for it has passed. The poor, the sick, the tormented are still here indeed, and God still answers prayer. From time to time, God's, God does work a miracle, does heal the sick, does free a demented soul. But the gift of miracles has gone with the apostles, because it was a transitional gift and directed specifically at Israel. Now we find in verses 17 and 21, the apostles are imprisoned, then freed. They're put in a common prison by the high priest and those of the sect of the Sadducees. They were filled with indignation against them. The apostles free were freed by an angel who came at night and opened the prison doors and brought them out, who charged them to return to the temple, which they did, entering the temple in the early morning. We see here in Acts chapter 5, 19-23, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard that, they entered in the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the sin of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety. And the keepers standing without before the doors, but when we had opened it, we found no man within. An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. Of course, this was easy for God to do. Angels are all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation, Hebrews 1.14. God sent forth this angel to minister for the apostles. Locked doors are nothing for the Lord. They are not only set free, but they are set free for a purpose that they may go stand in a temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. God did not set the apostles free so they could run for the hills or so they could just indulge their own comfort. They were set free for a reason. Their call before the council brought from the prison. The officers were unable to find them. 
Where are the apostles? The apostles are not there. Despite the secure doors, despite the guards, they were not there. Prison bars are nothing for the Lord. They were set free for a reason. But when you're saved, you are set free from sin. You were set free for a reason. God has a special purpose for your life, a special plan for your life. You've been set free from the shackles of sin. You're saved. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. Since you've been set free, since you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, have you been fulfilling the purpose God has for you? Or are you indulging yourself? Are you indulging sin? Are you living for comfort? Or are you living for Christ? Are you living to please self? Or are you living to fulfill your purpose that Christ has for your life? What have you been doing since you've been set free from sin? The apostles went out and preached Christ immediately. Are you sharing Christ with others since you've been set free from sin? Acts 5.28 says, Saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. The people of Jerusalem were listening to the apostles' message of Jesus. They were good witnesses for him. Jesus had said that the gospel was to go out. First in Jerusalem, we see they quickly and thoroughly heeded this command. Ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. They wasted no time in witnessing to all of Jerusalem about Christ and salvation through him. Acts 5.29 says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The apostles derived their authority to preach and teach from Jesus Christ and did not need man's permission to obey a commandment of God. The apostles were obeying what their Lord and Master told them to do. Believers are commanded to obey civil authority except when it comes in conflict with the commandment of God. Acts 5.31-32 Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. The Sanhedrin's hatred of Christ was foolishness. The resurrection proved them wrong. Jesus was both sovereign and savior. You can sense Peter was still trying to get them to accept Christ as savior. Peter is talking to them about repentance and forgiveness. This was one of the last chances for the Sanhedrin to officially reverse course and accept Christ and no longer reject him. Peter warned them that they were now dealing with the Holy Spirit, not just with the apostles. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost. God's message to Israel had passed into new hands. No longer was the Sanhedrin the custodian of truth. The apostles were. No longer was the nation of Israel the depository of God's message to men. The church was. Acts 5.33, when they had heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. John Philip's comment is tremendous on this point. The knife had gone deep. At this point in the Spirit's convicting work, a person either repents or reacts. With the Sanhedrin, there was an immediate reaction. How to get rid of these disciples? That was the question. Now we have the advice of Gamaliel. He stands up in the council. He was a respected Pharisee, teacher of the law held great respect by the people. Gamaliel cautions the council. He says, be careful what they do with these apostles. Remember what happened to Thaddeus, a man claiming to be someone, joined by 400 men. He was slain, 
and those who obeyed him came to nothing. Remember what happened to Judas of Galilee in the days of the census. He drew away many people after him. He also perished, and those who obeyed him dispersed. His advice regarding the apostles leave them alone. If their work is of men, it will come to nothing. If it is of God, it cannot be overthrown, and you will be fighting against God. This is the same Gamaliel who was the teacher of Paul. Acts 5.39 says, But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. Lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. This was a sobering reminder given by Gamaliel. The last one the Sanhedrin would get. There was a possibility that this movement was of God after all. How else could they account for all the miracles? How else could they account for the resurrection of Christ? And more recently, how else could they account for the escape of the apostles just last night? How else could they account for the bold speeches? How else could they account for the irrefutable doctrine of these unlearned men of Galilee? How else could they account for all this? The implications of this line of reasoning were so revolutionary that Gamaliel shied away from it. Still, the possibility was there. Let them beware. Let them be wise. Acts 5.41 And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. How did the apostles respond to this illegal treatment from their nation's religious leaders? They rejoiced. Jesus had told them to expect persecution and had instructed them to rejoice in it. Matthew chapter 5, 10-12 The opposition of men meant the approval of God and it was actually a privilege to suffer in his name, Philippians 1.29. The Sanhedrin thought that it had won a great victory, when actually the council had experienced a crushing defeat. No doubt they congratulated each other for doing such a good job of defending the faith, quote-unquote. But it was the apostles who were the winners, because they grew in godliness as they yielded to God's will and suffered for their master. In later years, Peter would have much to say in his first epistle, about the meaning of suffering in the life of the believer. But now he was learning the lessons. Neither the threats nor the beatings stopped them from witnessing for Jesus Christ. If anything, this persecution only made them trust Christ more and seek greater power in their ministry. True believers are not quitters. The apostles had a commission to fulfill, and they intended to continue as long as their Lord enabled them. Acts 5.42 says, And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They did it incessantly. Every day they spent their time spreading the good news of the gospel. They did it insistently. Back they went to the temple for public meetings where the crowds were thickest, and also in every house for private meetings throughout the city. They did it instructively. It was Jesus Christ who was the theme of their teaching and preaching. D.L. Moody was fearless in his witness for Christ and sought to speak about spiritual matters to at least one soul each day. How does your soul prosper, he would ask? Or do you love the Lord? Or do you belong to Christ? Some were offended by his blunt manner, but not a few more were led to Christ then and there. The more we use the means and opportunities we have, he said, the more will our ability and our opportunities be increased. He also said, I live for souls and for eternity. He was not satisfied only to address great crowds. He also felt constrained to speak to people personally and urge them to trust Jesus Christ.
Acts 5.42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. How do we measure up to that verse today? How does the church in general measure up to that verse today? And in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Thank you.